You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Sixteen, it's beyond the screen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Now, when we come to this verse, we think belief, belief. I believe when I believe something in my head. I believe that it's going to, hopefully not, snow today. I believe that it's going to be a good day. I believe that's going to be a bad day. I believe this. I believe that. And so we, we make this mental note and we say, because of that, we are, we, this is what we believe. The problem is, is, is that that believes that's on the screen right now, that's underlined, there's, a, there's more to it. And unfortunately, what we have done in, in church for many, many years is we've made it as simple as, Just say you believe it. Just know it in your head that you believe it. The problem is is that there is a a life change that is connected to that believes. That because you believe that the Father gave His one and only Son, you live differently in this world. It's not just believe. In fact, there's, there's entire books of Scripture that, that are written that, that, that deal with this kind of false teaching. There was false teaching in the first church that, that, that believed that, that, you know, all you have to do is say you believe it, mentally believe it, and that's fine. Then you can go out and live any way you want to. It doesn't matter. There's no accountability. There's no nothing. And, and the problem with that is that's not what Jesus meant when he was talking to Nicodemus in John 3.16. Well, who is he talking to? A teacher of the law who knew it up here but probably didn't know it down here. Hence why he was a little scared to talk to Jesus. You can read the passage yourself. He comes to Jesus in the night when no one else is around. Scared that his brothers who teach might think, why is he talking to the Messiah? He knows it all. Sure, he knew it up here. But there was a disconnect to down here. And so in John 3.16, when Jesus says believes, he doesn't mean just believe in your head. He means let that change your heart. It's a heart change. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 15, we learn that God is love. I'm just going to read these passages for you. They'll be on the screen flying up as I continue. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who has love has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him, and he is in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. I want to remind you of what this book's theme is. Many people will come to me from time to time, not, not like drastic numbers, but, and they'll say to me, I'm not sure I'm saved, Pastor Brett. And my first answer will be to them, would you do a study on 1 John? Because the whole book is, is based on uncertainty of your salvation. It's being sure of your salvation. And so when we read those first couple of verses, it's like, boom! Wait, if I don't love, I don't have a part of God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because it shows us that there's a difference between belief and heart change. Heart change. I say all of this because I wanted to start this way this morning. This is not Psalm 103 yet. I wanted to start this way this morning because I want you to understand and believe God's love. Because whether you know it or not, many of you have walked in here and, and, and I've been in your shoes. You know it, you just have a trouble getting it to hear. I want you to notice what 1 John doesn't say. It doesn't say he defines love. No, it says he is love. You want to know what real love looks like? Look at him. It's not like The Bachelor. Sorry if you like that show. Because that's not of him. So in picking up our series this morning on Psalm 103, David goes from focusing on himself and the benefits he sees in believing God and his work to focusing on a broader scope of people described as those who are oppressed and trying to make things right in the world, and they are put down on every side. I want to say that again, because I think God in his humor had me choose Psalm 103 right after an election. Let me read that again. 
People who feel like they're trying to do right in the world, but are oppressed on every side. Maybe you feel that way this morning. I know there's a group that does. You're in the perfect place. Because by God's grace, you are here this morning to hear what you need to do when you're trying to do what's right and it seems like you're oppressed on every side. God's got a word for you this morning because God, our God, is bigger than any voting booth or any politician, or anything that is or will be. He's bigger. He's going to have the last word someday. Some people are going to like that last word, and some people are going to be very sorry they didn't pay attention before. It is what it is. There's some powerful points to learn from Psalm 103, verses 6 through 12, and so let's, let's dive in together. Here's the first powerful point in verses um, 7 and 8. God's love and compassion is steadfast no matter how his people respond. No matter how. I want you to I want you to see this scripture passage here. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassion and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Now the verse is alluding to Exodus chapter 33. You know the story. Moses goes up to the the top of the mountain to get the, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments. He's up there for what seems like an eternity to the people of God. They're they're struggling because they don't know where they are. They don't know what what to think. They have their leader that's up on the top of a hill talking to God. They're not sure what to do. And so they go to Aaron. And they say, Aaron, you know, our guy is not here. He's He's not leading. He's up on top of the hill talking to God. We're frustrated. We don't know what to do. Aaron asks for all the earrings and all the gold that's around the camp. And he melts those earrings in gold, and he builds a golden calf, and you know the rest of the story. All because they have grown weary of not seeing God at work. Not having a leader. And they stand before that golden calf, and they worship him. Instead of staying faithful to God. Now before we throw the Israelites under the bus, before we say, I can't believe they didn't understand that God was faithful, how many times have you experienced a thought in your head that you've said these words? God's done in 2022, 2023. People aren't coming to know him anymore. He must be done at work. I mean, look at the decisions. Look at things that are called right that aren't right in Scripture. 
He's done. That would be the same thing the Israelites are doing here. And so, you know, if you're like me, when I read this, this story, and I went back and read it this past week in preparation for this sermon, I, I, I began to get this, this, this overabundance of pride. And then God kind of knocked me down at the knees in a loving way. He said, how many times have you sat in your office and said, God, where, what, what are you doing? Where are you at work? So, Pastor Brett, or Brett, before you knock on the Israelites, maybe you ought to take a look in the mirror. And I'm saying the same to you. They fell at the golden calf because they were frustrated, they were weary. So the Lord sends Moses down because he sees how corrupt the Israelites are becoming. Moses pleads for the Lord's hand to lead him in this situation. Then the Israelites do what they do and they forget all about his ways. More on that next week. But again, as we learned last week, God reminds Moses of his attributes despite the Israelites' attitude. Listen to verse 6 of Exodus chapter 34. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. His people have just built a golden calf and worshiped it. And yet God in his infinite mercy passes before Moses you see the scripture passage slow to anger abounding in love I'm not sure I would respond in the same way if I was God. Thank God I'm not God. I can only imagine if, if, if you know, and, I, and this is no comparison, but, but like if, if I came in here some Sunday and I was away for a week and there was a golden calf sitting in front of the church and you all were kind of doing this when I came in, I'd lose my ever-loving mind. Are you kidding me? God passes in front of their leader and he says, listen, I'm still faithful. I still love you. I'm slow to anger. I'm, I'm a gracious God. What? The Lord's gracious greatness, his friends, is balanced on his love and compassion that he treats sinners like us much better than they deserve. He doesn't stop at justice, but continues to mercy and forgiveness. He could stop at justice and be right. No one's going to debate with God that, well, if you'd want to, you can, but it's a losing battle. No one's going to debate with God at that moment in time when that golden calf is sitting in front of his people. No one's going to debate and say, you shouldn't be angry, God. Get over it. 
I, maybe some person who, who hasn't thought through all the ramifications of doing that would do that. But no one in their right mind is going to say, yeah, yeah, just let your people worship some other God. You know, this is a jealous God. He has every right to be angry, yet he passes in front of their leader and says, I'm a gracious God. He doesn't say that, you know, I'm going to get you guys. No, he says something completely different. You know, I, I, I struggled with typing this point. I was actually going to write a message to a, a brother who I trust in the ministry and say, am I right on this point? Because I, I struggled with it so much. And I'll tell you why. Because am I giving someone a clear path to do what you want? Who cares? He's going to show grace anyway. But the Apostle Paul says something in Romans chapter 6 that, that, that popped into my mind when I was thinking that way. I didn't send that text. I, I stuck with the point because I believe it is correct. Here's what Romans 6 says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by him, by baptism into death, in order that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life? And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is that the reason God is, is gracious is because of his character. And you would be a fool to take his character and play that card. I'll put it another way, as William Barclay, one who writes commentaries, put it. How despicable for a son to continue to sin because he knows the Father will forgive him. How despicable that we would look at a gracious God and say, well, I'll just do what I want because, you know what, he's going to forgive me in the end. That's called knowing it up here and not here. How despicable for a son or daughter to look at a father who says, I'm going to forgive you anyway, so I'll just go, you're going to forgive me anyway, so I'll just go do whatever I want to do. It's horrible. And the Apostle Paul says it in Romans chapter 6 where he says, should we, should we continue to sin? So that we receive more grace? By no means shall we do that. Shall we do that? If you folks are dead to something, how is it possible that you would want to live in it? I mean, dead means dead. All right, there's no breath. There's no life. If a flower is dead, it's dead. It's brown. If a tree is dead, it does not produce leaves. It's dead. It's brown. 
If when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we believe in this, not just this, we are dead to sin, why would we want to struggle to live in it? Makes no sense. A community member in Temple who attends another church, and I, I know him because he comes to all of our outreaches and talks with me, put something up on Facebook. Don't put it up yet. I want the, I want the value of uh, disclosing it to everybody at one time here. But he put something up on Facebook, and at first when I saw it, and you're going to do the same reaction, at first when I saw it, I went, <gasps> I can't believe he just put that up. Then I sat back and I said to Jim, who's his name, you're right, man, <laughs> me included. Look at this. The early church wanted to know, what must I do to be saved? Today's church is asking, what can I do to still be saved? The early church said, what can I do to accept the free gift of salvation and live that out? Today the question is, how close can I get to the line without sinning? There's a difference, folks. Now I'm not saying everybody who sits here this morning is thinking that way, but you can see how the world is turning that direction. The early church just wanted to know about the free gift and how they can, how they can live that out. Today we wonder how we can tiptoe around it and still have that relationship, that fire insurance, that we don't spend eternity in a very hot place. And I think what it does is it, is it plays off of church health. A very healthy church asks themselves, what is it that we need to do to be saved and to live out that salvation in a powerful way? A very unhealthy church looks at it and says, how close can we get to the line without breaking the line? It's all because God loves us and shows us grace. And so what, what many people, I hear it from people who, who don't even attend churches. He's going to forgive me anyway. Because we made it about this, not this. See, the goals are different. One relaxes in Jesus, the other toes the line. I'll let you figure out which one does what. One sits back and says, it's all about what Jesus paid. I, I, hey, man, I, I, I can't repay what he did for me. And, and I, need to, I need to understand that, that it's all about him. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about him. It's about him. And the other one gets so close to the line and says, well, am I still good, Jesus? Did I break it yet? Did I lose you? dangerous number two is God's love and compassion drives him to not give us what we deserve he will not always accuse nor will he 
harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us as according to our iniquities. The word accuse here is a legal word. And what is being said about God is, is that he does not limit himself to justice. Nope. He continues to do on to love and compassion Rather than raging in anger and frustration as we humans are prone to do, God instead chooses to give his grace freely. The New International Dictionary of the Old Testament says it this way, Clearly the Lord may be justly angry with the rebellion of his people and his enemies, but he is generously moderate because of the compassionate and merciful, because of his compassionate and merciful nature. See, if the Lord deals with Israel, let's just use that example, only in justice, surely he wouldn't have gone in front of their leader and said, I'm a gracious God. We would have expected lightning bolts and judgment and condemnation and punishment that would have led them to an in possible predicament but you see that doesn't go for just us or just them it goes for us too have you ever looked to the heavens and say Lord how much longer I certainly have like when I get in conversations with people about the Lord coming back, I say to, I say to them, and, and you know, I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I, I kind of have a little meaning behind it. I, I say to them, I think he has his hands on the doorknob and he has Gabriel practicing the, the trumpet. Like I can't imagine how much worse, we're gonna, how much worse it's going to get. But yet, isn't that God's grace? In fact, the scripture says he, he hasn't come back yet because he wants to see more come to know his power and his salvation. In fact, it says he's not slow in keeping his promises. No, he's not slow at all. What he is is he's gracious and he's given people one more chance. before he says, I'm done. And when he says, I'm done, he's not saying he's done with mankind. He's not done with, he's done. It's the end of the day. It's the time. It's, it's the time that the Father has picked out. I remember being a, a youth pastor back in the day, and you know, I was just talking to our friend Landon the other day, and told him, maybe I can be your uh, guest speaker at one of your retreats. Then I thought, wait, youth retreats, they say up until three in the morning. Brett, you're not going to make it. He said, don't tempt me. <laughs> and I remember doing a game where, and, 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 and you can probably picture this game, you're playing kickball and then you change the rules in the middle of the game. It really frustrates the kids. All right, and then 
So you, so you change the rules. You don't run to first, you run to third instead of running to first after you kick the ball and all this stuff. And you just keep on changing the rules until somebody finally says, what do they say? That's not fair. And then you blow your whistle and you have them come into a little crowd and you say, you see, thank God he doesn't give us what's fair in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty open about the fact that I don't deserve his grace. There's nothing about me that says to God, man, you really got to forgive that guy. There's nothing about me that says, um, you know, you should really love that guy because he's a great guy. He's a perfect guy. Nothing. And yet every morning he bestows upon me and you new compassions and new mercies and gives us a new slate according to Lamentations chapter 3. And we've done nothing to deserve it. What would be fair is to get us out of bed in a hot mess. What would be fair is for him to look at me and list all the times that I lost my core or that I did something that was not right. Uh, that would be fair, to show it on the screen. What would be fair is for me to get judgment and condemnation, but yet I don't. And you don't either. And no one would blame him for doing it. I mean, hey, when I lose my core at that other... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't tell so many stories, but I lose my cool with that other driver who cut me off. Who's blaming God that he's going to come down to me and say, because he's going to say, hey, listen, man, you lost your cool there. I'm not going to sit there and argue with him. He knows. I did do wrong. But he chooses to not stop at the justice and go on to love and compassion. And I want, I want you to know something. This Thanksgiving, everyone who sits here should be very thankful that God does not deal with us the way our sins deserve. And I would say this to anybody who's sitting here this morning, so don't think I'm aiming this at anybody in particular. I'm telling you, I don't care if there was 30, 40 more other people sitting here. If you go to your Thanksgiving table to the or, uh, next two Thursdays from now, no one can say they don't have a reason to be thankful because here's number one. You have a reason to be thankful and that reason is, is that God doesn't give you what you deserve. Period. Every last one of us. How can you say that with such confidence, Pastor? You don't know my, well, I know this. The Bible tells me everyone that stands on this earth and breathes falls short of the glory of God. Period. And, you know, I've done this study. The Greek of everyone means everyone. Everyone. Who walks and talks, who breathes, falls short of the glory of God. 
It's kind of why we need a Savior. It's not kind of, it is. Number three is God's love and compassion is found in his directional love. In his directional love. We'll talk about that. In verse 11, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The word here used is used is hesed, which is God's faithful love. The psalmist here describes it in its attributes, forgiveness of sins, by using directional terms. He says, as high as the heavens and from east to west. For those reading this in this day, in, in, the, in the day that it was written or hearing it, would bring up most imaginable distance. But for us, oh, the great lengths this means. Because the heavens and the east to west equal infinity. They go and go and go and go. They never stop. That, my friends, is awesome. By his love and compassion, the Lord removes our sins forever. Forever. If he did it any other way, there would be a stop. North to south, there's a stop. East to west, there's not. Infinity. Over and over and over again. Here's the key to it all. The proper response to his love and compassion is reverent fear and respect for him rather than presuming on his goodness. What I mean by that is, is that it's, a, it's an action. He loves us. So what we do is we, our heart changes in the ways that we react because he loves us. We don't stay the same. You know, something that has taught me about the Father's love is being a father. Weird how that works, huh? Because when I'm coming down on somebody, namely Freddie or Serenity, I'm often reminded of the Father's great love for me. And so it challenges me to step back and think from, from the Father's perspective on me. How about you? And I'm not talking to just fathers. I'm talking to everyone. Have you stepped back and seen it from his perspective? When you're about to blast that person for doing something that they shouldn't have done, do you ever step back for just a split second and say, oh, yeah, I just did that the other week. His directional love is awesome. And found in that directional love is God's love and compassion for you and I. It was President Lincoln who showed godly characteristics when he was asked, this question, how is he going to treat the rebellious Southerners when they had finally been defeated and returned to the Union of the United States? 
The question expected, the questioner, the person who was asking the question, expected Lincoln would take a dire vengeance. I'm going to smother them. I'm going to do what I got to do, and I'm going to make their lives miserable. No, what he said was, I would treat them as if they had never been away. That's godly characteristics. The newspaper article that was written or the whatever about that was shocking. That a president of the United States wouldn't want to smother his enemies, but instead he would want to treat them as if they had never gone away. Can I say something to you? Well, I'm going to say it anyway. Why did I ask that question? How awful that that's shocking. How awful. I see it in today's world. People do something good, and people are shocked by it. This morning, I want you to be reminded of God's love for you. I want you to think as we, as we're going to close with a video in just a second, but I, I want you to think of the amazing love God has for you. Here's what I want you to do in particular as this song is playing. Think of ways that you may need to think past your past. Look, I come from a household, and, 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 and here's the dire facts. And, 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 and there was actually just a study that came out, and it says that 95% of people, now you can take, like, look, look, I can get statistics to say whatever I want them to say. But, but this was interesting. That 95% of people relate God to their father on earth. Period. Daughters, sons. The way God responds is the way that my father responded to me. Listen, I grew up in a household. He's not this way anymore. He's changed. He came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But I grew up in a household that I was told one thing, and then when I tried to apologize for it, and I thought we were moving on, it was brought up 16 years later. And so when I look at God sometimes, I think of God that way. Oh, yeah, you say you love me. But you remember what I did 10 years ago, and you're still holding it against me. And if you think that you are somehow beyond that, you are sadly mistaken. We often look to people here, and we try to relate them to God. And what I want you to do while this song plays is get past your past. Understand that when God says from as far east to, I don't know what east to west is, east to west, as far as the heavens to the bottom of the earth. He means it. He doesn't mean as far as this to Target. He doesn't mean as far as this to our office building. He means as far as east is to the west, your transgressions have been forgiven.
not to be brought up again, not to be revisited, not to be asked over and over again, have you really got over that? Think past what you believe about others' ways of loving you. You need to allow the love of God to touch your life this morning. And so I want you to sit back and listen to East to West from Casting Crowns in just a second. I want you to just think about it. Watch the words. The front man of Casting Crowns said that this song was about this, these very things. On the back of your sermon outline, it gives you his words. In this song, Casting Grounds tackle the all-too-familiar skepticism which, with which we humans embrace forgiveness. Lead singer Mark Hall explained on his records label's website, we have a hard time with the concept of forgiveness and God's love. We cut ourselves and it heals, but the scar remains. Sometimes we think God treats sin like we would if we were God and that he handles forgiveness like we would. We know he forgives, but we can't accept that God chooses to forget and relinquishes his right to avenge. Think of that. Go ahead and play the song. Here I am, Lord, and I'm drowning in your sea of forgetfulness. The chains of yesterday surround me. I yearn for peace and rest. I don't want to end up where you found me. And it echoes in my mind, keeps me awake tonight. I know you've cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. And I stand before you now as, as though I've never sinned. But today I feel. I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Cause I can't bear to see the man I've been rising up in me again in the how far the east is from the west from one scarred hand to the other i start the day 
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, your love forgives us. Lord, as the words of that song said, Lord, may we not allow the truth to be drowned out by what the world teaches, by what we've been, what we've seen from others in our world. May we be reminded constantly of how loving and compassionate you are. You have every right to be angry. You have every right to hold it against us. But you choose to get beyond that justice and go to mercy and grace. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Help us to live in that love. This coming week and for weeks and months and years to come. For Lord, it's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com.